Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. This morning's message, I've given the title, True Hope in His Presence. I believe we're in a world that needs some true hope. Uh, True hope in His presence, Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6 is, is where you are. I, to set the context, I want to remind you that in last Sunday's message, we were in Psalm 26, and David is asking the Lord to vindicate him against enemies who are wanting to tear him down and tear him away from the Lord. And you may remember in verse 8 of, of the Psalm 26, he, he says, I love to be in your presence. I, I want to be where your glory dwells. And, and this theme of a passion for God's presence which we see in 26, will debut again in Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is is a psalm both of great lament. You you can sense an undertone of of desperation about his situation, and yet at at the same time, this great confidence that the Lord is going to answer his prayer. In this psalm, David's enemies are are bringing him difficulty, danger, darkness to his life. In verse 2, we will read that his enemies are seeking to devour him. The enemy wants to devour you. Your own sinful flesh, this present wicked world system, and Satan and his associates, what our camp speaker this week called the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, the the devil, they have no interest in you finishing the race for the glory of God. And this morning, I don't know what storm you bring into this fellowship. I don't know what storm is darkening your view of God and robbing you of fellowship with Him. Perhaps it's a selfish unwillingness to embrace gospel-motivated changes in the life of your church. Perhaps it is unforgiveness or bitterness or an old temptation that is resurfacing in your life. Maybe it's direct satanic attack. Maybe it's a medical challenge. Maybe it is doubt in the face of a disappointing diagnosis or a job loss or a host of any other things that can threaten to take our eyes off the Lord and and lead us into this place of spiritual numbness. Maybe you've been there before. Hollowness on the inside. Lives that externally look put together. They they look alright, but if we were honest with ourselves when we stare in the mirror in the morning, it's like Enemies are slowly eating us away on the inside. I I want you to know this morning that the reality of enemy attack is not abstract for your pastor. It's not just this theoretical concept. When we come to the Word of God and we read about enemies, sometimes it's just out there. But, But I know that you wrestle with enemies. I know that you wrestle against your own fleshly desires. I know that you wrestle in this present world system that wants to attack Christians who are living faithfully. And I 
I know that the enemy, when you begin to thrive and to soar and to prosper in your Christian life, that he has no desire for that to continue and that he comes after you. I have had seasons just like you of staring into my Bible and feeling numb because of unconfessed sin in my life. I've sought work. Maybe you're without a job today. I've sought work and been rejected as overqualified. Well, let me just do the job, please. I'll do it. I've, I've sought work and been rejected as underqualified. I've sought work and been rejected as not the right fit when I could go down the, the posting of every skill that they needed, every experience that they listed, and I could check it all off, and I could include it in my cover letter and didn't even get a call back. I've been blindsided and overwhelmed by the sting of betrayal. I have cried out to God, begging Him to deliver my little daughter from night terrors. I have poured out my life into helping marriages thrive, only to see them fail and felt the crushing weight of failure. Maybe I should have said this, what if I would have done that? I've been in seasons where I just felt like I was in a funk that I couldn't shake for any particular reason at all. Have any of you been there? I believe as we emerge from COVID, hopefully, I believe the reality is many of us have discovered that we were relying on a routine more than we were relying on the Lord. And as we've emerged from COVID and things have been shaken and sifted and not everything is as it was and we're trying to find that level ground again in our life and we're struggling to find it. I can see in my mind's eye that the enemy wants to take out the people of God. And the only recourse that the people of God have in this moment is Psalm 27. That we would lean in to the presence of God and find true hope that is only found there. Would you join me in standing for the reading of God's word? The Lord, this is, I'm sorry, this is of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover 
of his tent, and he will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Let's pray. God, speak to our hearts today. Remind us that true hope is found in your presence and of the many things we brought in. God, I pray we would leave like David in verse 4. We would leave seeking one thing. And I ask it for your glory and for our good and in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. David in this psalm, as Longman writes, is aware that he is in danger and he needs God's presence and guidance to weather this storm. And I I love what we see in verses 1 through 3 as David begins this psalm in a season of darkness. How does he begin? He doesn't begin by saying, God, I'm in a season of darkness. He simply affirms, the Lord is my light and my salvation. He, He shows us believers Something so basic, but so important, the enemies want to get your eyes off the facts about your God. They want you to get focused on the darkness rather than the Lord who is light. And so my first point this morning in my message is so basic, some of you are going to say I need to be fired because it just wasn't deep enough. Here's the first point. In in the darkness that you brought into the sanctuary this morning, in the darkness that you are experiencing on the live stream and over in the overflow and gymnasium, I need you to know this first point. We've got to remember the Lord. The the Bible constantly calls us to remember the Lord. We celebrate the, the Lord's Supper as a supper of remembering what God has done. Now, I know some of you want to go deep this morning, but we can't go deep for as long as we're giving our enemies more credit than our God. And the first thing that David does is say, look, I feel miserable, my enemies are circling, I've got them within and without, but I'm going to remind you who the Lord is. And here's our problem, or maybe I should just say my problem, because when I'm under attack, I tend to be less like David and more like the ten spies of Israel. Do you remember the ten spies who were supposed to spy out the promised land. God said, look, I'm giving you the land. And he sends 12 spies and only two, Joshua and Caleb, come back. They're like, if God said we're going to take the land, our God is bigger than anybody. We're going to take the land. But 10 of them were like, we can't do it. They're so big, Moses. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers. They're just going to squash us. And some of you brought enemies in this morning that look terrifyingly huge in your life and you need to do what David did rather than what your pastor so often does and rather what the spies did you need to do what David does and say the Lord is my light and my salvation I'm going to stop dwelling on the darkness and I'm going to start looking to the Lord who is light I'm going to go into his word I'm going to plumb and mine the truths of the gospel David has learned to compare his enemies not with himself but with the Lord Being surrounded by enemies forces us to depend on God. The darkness, as the darkness of enemy attacks surrounds David, he says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In this present darkness, Lord, you are still light. And you're not just a light. He doesn't say, Lord, you are a light. He says, Lord, you are my light. Light 
Kidner says, is a natural figure for almost everything that is positive. Here, the light is an answer to David's fear in the darkness. Did you know that darkness is fear-inducing unless you have a reliable light? I remember as a young child fearing the, the monsters in my room at bedtime. And the only way I could make them go away was turn on the light or have a reliable flashlight at the ready. Those monsters were, of course, figments of my imagination, but David's enemies are real. There is real darkness settling over his soul, but he does not face them without an incredible light, with a God who is light itself, a light who does not just vanquish imaginary monsters, but can even conquer death, a a God who spoke light into existence. The one who came down and is a light in a darkness that the darkness could not overcome. This is why David can say, not only is God my my light, He is my salvation. Salvation means rescue or deliverance. The Lord is not just a light to show him the path through the darkness. He is itself the way through the darkness. And because of this, David can ask, whom shall I fear? And the implied answer to his question is what? Nobody. God, if, if you're my light, if you're my salvation, if I'm in you, if you're bigger than all the enemies that surround me, who should I fear? No one. Do you see what David is doing in verse 1? He's preaching to himself. He's like, these enemies, man, this is, this is rough, Lord. But I'm going to go to who you are. And I'm going to preach the gospel to myself in the midst of my despair. He's teetering on fear, and so he goes to the Lord, and he says, Hey, you, yeah, you. Hey, David, knucklehead. Yeah, listen, the Lord is your light. The Lord who called darkness, called light out of darkness on the first day of creation, if he is your Lord and your light, why in the world are you afraid? Don't be afraid. And then in verse 1, he calls the Lord his stronghold, or his refuge. A stronghold is a fortified position of safety, in the middle of battle. The Lord doesn't just guide us in the face of our fear and our doubt and our despair and our depression and disease and disaster or our unfulfilled plans and dreams. He also protects us from the ultimate agenda of our enemies, which is to separate us from confidence in the presence of God robbing us from a joyous and confident life in the Lord, and then seeking satisfaction in lesser things. The enemies want David's destruction, and the Lord gives him protection as he pursues his presence in the middle of the storm. And if the Lord is our shelter, if he's our refuge, if he's our safe place, David asks for the second time in one verse, of whom shall I be afraid? We need to learn from David in verse 1, church. I I believe that we need to get this in our lives. Sometimes we've got to set aside our feelings long enough to lay down some facts. We are an emotive people. God made emotions. It's not bad to have emotions. But it is oftentimes not helpful to respond to our situation out of the first emotion that arises in our heart. We've got to get to the facts of who God is and the facts of the gospel rather than 
functioning out of our feelings. Well, you don't know what she did to me. You don't know what she said to me. You don't know how she looked at me or he didn't look at me. Ruins our whole week. David goes to the facts of who God is. Though his enemies seem to be large and in charge, he knows they are no match for his Lord. He preaches the facts of the gospel to the fears of his heart. And one of the reasons that Jesus ordained Christians to mature and grow in local churches is because local churches have pastors who preach the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel, the reason you gather here week after week, is to be reminded of the facts about who God is. And that He is bigger than your enemies, so that you would endure to the end. There is no life transformation without hearing and internalizing gospel information. So where does David begin? He begins with truth. He remembers the Lord. The Lord is light, and His fears are therefore no more founded than my fear of the boogeyman in my childhood bedroom. Then in verse 2, David mentions a time that the Lord had given him victory, the the tense of the verbs in the translation we read was not in the past tense, but in the Hebrew, he writes in the past tense. It's as though David is speaking of a particular occasion when his enemies came upon him, intending a particularly savage and vicious attack, and yet they were the ones who ended up falling. Now, there's too many occasions in David's life to pinpoint which instance is in view. But he looks back to the Lord. He says, you're my light, you're my salvation, verse 1. And then verse 2, he's like, look, You've delivered me before, you'll deliver me again. You've, you've brought me out of the funk in the past. You've healed me in the past. You've delivered me in the past. And so I know what you've done in the past, you will do again. What do we do in our lives? And maybe I'm just preaching this sermon to myself this morning. And if so, y'all pray for your pastor. Because he, he's a knucklehead sometimes. But here's what I do. I get in a jam... I look to the Lord, I have confidence in the Lord, but man, those enemies look pretty big. And then somehow, some way, God finally brings me through. And then I'm like, six months later, man, I did pretty good. I mean, I had a great plan in the middle of that jam. Look at me. David doesn't do that, does he? He looks at the Lord. He says, I remember that season of despair. I remember that season of attack. I remember when enemies were all around me and I, I felt like I couldn't see the face of God, but God is light, He is salvation, He is refuge, He has delivered me. And then He says in verse 3, if He's done it before, He's going to do it again. If an army is around me as one person, I don't care. My heart will not fear. I will be trusting or confident in what? In the Lord. There are some here today who are probably exhausted this morning because you've spent so much time looking at your enemies and at your own strength to get out of the jam rather than to the Lord. And this morning you need to learn from David who says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Real faith goes to the facts about the one we can trust even when we don't feel like it. And after we go to the Lord and establish the facts, we find that we need more than facts, don't we? Facts are good. Facts are our friends. But we need more than gospel facts. We need the Lord Himself. And we see that in verses 4 through 6. David shows us we must prize the Lord's presence. What does David request in verse 4 in this 
season of suffocating darkness. In this season of feeling as though his enemies want to devour his soul. i got to be honest, when, when I feel like I'm in a season of enemy attack, I, I usually come to the Lord with a long list. Do any of y'all have long prayer lists? It's not bad to have long prayer lists. God can handle it, right? He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He knows the desires of your heart before you even write them down or bring them. But what does David bring in verse 4? You see it? One thing. God, there's one thing I want. And his point is not that he can only make one request of the Lord. David, throughout the Psalms, makes many requests. There are times that he asks the Lord to vanquish his enemies. But he doesn't make that request here because his focus isn't on his enemies. His focus is on the Lord. And here's what he's saying. God, there's one thing that I need most. And if I could have everything else on my prayer list, if you could check off the next 99 things on my list, but I couldn't have number one, it would be like I didn't have any of them. What is his one thing? Do you see it in verse 4? One thing. God, give me one thing that I may be with the Lord. Verse 4. That I may gaze upon his beauty, literally to contemplate his grace, that he was kind to me, that he allowed me to know him at all, that he's adopted me into his family, and then to inquire or meditate or carefully consider his presence. Verse 4. David longs to be with the Lord. His one thing is not to know about the Lord, it is to be with the Lord. It is to consider Him, it is to behold Him. David has one consuming ambition in a world of attack, and it is to be with the Lord God Almighty. What is your one thing this morning? It's your one thing to know and to be with the Lord. We know this is true because of the words he uses in verse 4. The, the house of the Lord, the temple, the tent. These all refer to the place where God made his presence known among his people. Now what's interesting is in David's day, the temple hasn't been built yet, but he uses the word temple. So it's likely that he's thinking of the heavenly place where God dwells. I, I want to be caught up where you are. I want to be caught up in the heavenlies. Even in David's writings, While they have an earthly tabernacle, we get the sense that he's speaking not just of a localized expression of God's presence on earth, but of being directly in the glorious presence of God. David's desire is not to be in a beautiful building, but to be in the Lord's beautiful presence. Even in the Old Testament, we find this idea of directly accessing the presence of God. Do you remember the story of Jonah? He's thrown out overboard. And in chapter 2, while he's in a raging sea where he's going to drown and die, do you remember what Jonah says? When my life was fainting away. He's far from Jerusalem. He's far from the temple. But what does he say? I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Did you know that God can be known and enjoyed by His people at any place, at any time? Do you believe that this morning? That you can know God's presence anywhere. Do you believe that? Because we're going to consider on August 1st, adopting a unified schedule and worshiping together as one people. 
Because Jesus prayed in John 17 that we would be one as the Father and Jesus are one. And how one are the Father and Jesus? Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. Where I am, the Father is there. Where the Father is, I'm there. And I want you to be that united. And if we won't worship together, God help us. As we grieve the Holy Spirit, not taking a clear application of God's Word to heart and pursuing it with a hot ambition for the glory of Christ, trusting that the Spirit would rest on us and He would move through us and have a missional movement of God as we say we are going to sacrifice together for one another to be together and united in the Gospel because the house of the Lord is not a temple in Jerusalem. The house of the Lord is the people of God. You are the house of the Lord. That's what Jesus said. He is the temple. And when the Spirit adopts you and places you in Christ, Christ is the head and we are the body and we are the temple of His presence and He died to make us one. We have a chance in the life of our church to honor Jesus like never before next week. I hope we'll do it. God can be known and enjoyed by His people in any place, at any time. He can be known at the bottom of a raging sea. He can be known when we sing hymns in a jail cell. He can be known by the Son of God on a cross. And He can even be known in a gymnasium. A true encounter with the living Lord in a landfill is infinitely more beautiful and soul-satisfying than going through the motions in a sanctuary. I think I need to say that again. A true encounter. And many of you this morning are desperate for a true encounter with the living Lord of the universe. You are weary. You are thirsty. You are coveted out. But I'm here to tell you, when you get into the presence of God, it doesn't matter where it is, a living Encounter with the living Lord in a landfill is infinitely more beautiful and soul-satisfying than going through the motions in a sanctuary. We saw a young lady give her life to Christ on the side of the road on the way back from student camp this week. Jesus is at the rest stop. Jesus is at the exit. He is where the people of God gather. And David is almost obsessed, not with the building, Not with the gold of the tabernacle, not with the incense, not with the altar. He is obsessed with Yahweh. And he wants to be always in his presence. And I'm here to tell you, church, when you are in passionate pursuit of someone, you don't much care about where you have to meet them. You just want other people to know how great that person is and you want to be with them. Is that your desire for Jesus? You just want to be with Jesus and you just want to be with Jesus' people and you want other people to know how great Jesus is. That's what David is saying. When I was a young man, I used to send notes to a young lady that y'all might know her name. Her name is is Stacy. And I folded them like that. Do y'all remember doing that? Anybody? This is like 15 pages. I wrote on the outside, I got Stacy with a heart on there. And on the front, I put, I finally got it folded. Daniel. I'm not going to read you the letter. But I am going to summarize it. 
It sounded a lot like David in verse 4. Dear Stacy, there's one thing I'm after. And it's you. I want to dwell with you. I want to gaze upon you. I want to know everything there is to know about you. I just want to be with you. Now that's probably a little TMI. But church, it's a great picture of a laser-focused heart. When I... When it comes to being with Stacy, I am focused on Stacy. It doesn't matter to me where we are. And she might say to you, sometimes I wish it mattered a little more to you where we are. <laughs> like, we, we could have upgraded this hotel a little bit. But I'm fine with a tent under a bridge downtown. Doesn't matter. How much more? How much more, church, should we be that way with the living Lord of the universe? Jesus, there's one thing I'm after, and it's you. I'm struggling, God. I'm struggling with enemies, and I've been distracted. I've been looking to all sorts of solutions. I've been putting my hope in the arrangement of a song rather than in the glory of my Savior. And that is so foolish, God. Forgive me. Jesus, I want you. I'll meet you anywhere. I'll meet you on a gym, in a gym, on a field, on a roof, under a mango tree, in a warehouse, in a rented out grocery store, in a parking lot, in the backfield. I'll meet you in my loneliness. I'll meet you in my grief, in my fears, in my parenting, and in my funk. God, awaken me to the reality that I've been writing the letters to all sorts of things that won't satisfy me. And let me write my letter to you. There's one thing I want, and it is to be with you. God, help us not rest in anything less than Him. For in His presence alone can we truly be satisfied. Why am I so passionate about bringing the generations in our church together in this moment? Because Jesus is the place of God's presence and He's made us part of His body and this will please our Lord. The essence of discipleship is desiring the Lord's presence more than we desire our, even our own lives, much less our preferences. It's only when we desire the Lord's presence more than life itself that we are free to take up our cross and follow Jesus fearlessly in the face of enemy attack. Being in the Lord's presence puts things in the right perspective. His presence is our protection. I may not have anything the enemies say that I need, but if I have the Lord, I am good. Look at verse 5. In the Lord's presence, David has shelter. In the day of trouble when the enemy comes, bringing up an old failure, an old accusation, telling a new lie, tempting us to compromise with the world, when these things happen, but we are, the enemies find us pursuing the Lord's presence, it will be as though we are hidden to them. Now it's not as though the enemies aren't there, right? You can hear the enemies, we can see the enemies, but it's, it's like we're hidden to them. Because in the presence of God, we are satisfied in our soul, and the enemies can't get a, a hook in our heart to get an angle of attack, because His 
presence is more satisfying than their empty promises and their menacing threats. And get this, church. When we're in the Lord's presence, we aren't just hidden. We are hidden in plain sight. Do you see that? Verse 5, we are lifted up on a rock. The word rock here means a, a large boulder that, that is big enough to provide firm footing. So in the Lord's presence, we are hidden from our enemies because we're delighting in His presence and He sets our feet on a large rock. From the vantage point of having our feet firmly planted in the Lord Jesus Christ, the solid rock, then we read again in verse, I think it's verse 5, maybe verse 6, that He lifts our head. Do you see that? And it is there, in delighting in the Lord, in His matchless grace, that we can see our enemies for who and what they truly are. We can see over our enemies from our position of safety. We can see through our enemies and their attacks. These enemies want to dissuade us from trusting and pursuing the only one who can truly satisfy us. But David shows us the way. Run to the Lord. Preach the gospel to yourself. Prize the Lord's presence more than anything, even life itself. And as you preach the facts of the gospel to yourself, I want to remind you as we close of the reality of the resurrection. How can we live this psalm out? Jesus, the risen Lord, makes it possible. Though enemies surrounded Jesus on the way to the cross, though they beat Him and spit upon Him and mocked Him. The Scriptures tell us that his, his heart was hidden in the Lord. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't revile against His enemies. He didn't attack. He didn't even open up His mouth. He could see His enemies and His enemies thought they could see Him, but He was hidden. He was shielded. He was protected because He was obeying His Father to and through the cross to secure your salvation. And though for a moment it seemed like the enemies of God and the enemies of Christ won, the Father did not abandon His Son. He lifted Him up first from the grave and then into heaven to be our advocate and our example and our substitute. The large stone that sealed the tomb was rolled away and Christ emerged as the solid rock. And because of the faithful obedience of Jesus to the Father, our sins can be forgiven this day. Our lives can be changed this day. Our perspective that has been so focused on self and focused on the darkness can be changed in the light of Christ. For in Christ, Paul says this in Ephesians, God has raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And my prayer for us today, church, is this. For those who are wearied by the constant barrage of assaults from the enemies we face, my prayer for you is that you would come back to just one thing. More than vacation. God, I need you. More than sports or academic success, Lord, I need you. More than any substitutes that I've accepted that are less than your satisfying presence, God, I need you. Because when I stop looking at all the darkness around me and I go back to you, the source of light, it is then that I can dwell in protection and victory and life change, that I have solid footing and you lift my head. Did you know the world wants you to, wants to put your head down? The world is trying to shove your head down, just plow through life. 
Now I'm just trying to get to the next thing. But God in His presence will not just put your feet on the rock. He'll lift your head to behold His beauty and His glory no matter what is swirling around you. Life in the Lord's presence. Do you see it in verse 6? What happens? When He gives us protection and He lifts, us, lifts our head and allows us to encounter Him in beauty. Life in the Lord's presence then leads to joy-filled sacrifice and singing to the Lord. Sacrificing was shouting. Do you delight in the opportunities that God gives you to sacrifice for Him? Let's be honest. You enjoy those sermons that come on tithing and generous giving? Man, this is exciting. We've got a chance to give to the Lord. Oh, he's talking about money. Do you delight in singing to the Lord? Church, there's two, there's there's a there's one reason that I care so much about your generous giving and your excited singing. Because the Bible says they are two indicators in the Christian life about how you're really doing with Jesus. Everybody got a car here? You got warning lights on the dashboard? They go orange sometimes, red sometimes. If you're not delighting in being a generous giver, or if you can hear the people of God sing and not be compelled to want to sing, Jesus says through His Word, not your pastor, but Jesus says, and I agree with Jesus, so I guess your pastor's saying it too, that's a warning sign. It's a warning sign. Because when you really encounter the Lord in His beauty and in His glory and He transforms your life and He welcomes you in to behold the most beautiful thing that there ever is, was, or will be, you want to give it all up. I tell you what, when I wanted Stacy, which is still true to this day, but when I was pursuing her until she finally left all those other guys and, you know... She's probably watching on the live stream. She had a headache this morning. She's going to kill me. <laughs> there was nothing I wouldn't give. There was nothing I wouldn't do. There was nowhere I wouldn't go. And Stacy, you're amazing. But compared to Jesus, why wouldn't we have that same attitude? So I'm asking you, church, if you brought in a bunch of things this morning, I'm asking you to leave with just one. I'm asking you to walk out of here with whatever phony substitutes you've been settling for other than the presence of God. And to walk out of here and say, Jesus, if I don't have anything else but I can have you, I want you. Whatever you want me to give, I'll give it. Whatever you want me to lay down, I'll lay it down. Whatever you want me to take on, I'll take it on. Wherever you're sending me, I will go because I want to be where you are. So I want to challenge you, North Roanoke Baptist Church, wherever you are, in the way of invitation, to respond to this sermon by signing your name to this love letter. I'm going to allow our instrumentalists to come at this time. I think the right response to Psalm 27 verses 1 through 6 is for us to do what David did. We're going to sing a song in a moment called Worthy, Worthy. And I want to ask you, do you believe God is worthy of your deepest affections? Of your greatest joys? 
of your deepest sacrifice. That you can't be satisfied with anything less than Jesus. And if, if that's your prayer this morning, if you're honest with yourself as, as I've tried to be with you this morning and, and you've faced seasons of crippling darkness and you've been tempted to look at the darkness rather than the light and you know that it's only in looking to Jesus that you'll be satisfied, I want to invite you to sign your name to this letter this morning. Here it is. Dear Jesus, more than life itself, I want to be with you. Jesus, wherever you are, I want to be right there. Wherever you want me to meet you, I will go. Jesus, whatever it takes out of me for me to have you, take it. Jesus, whatever I need to give up to get you, I give it. Jesus, you are so beautiful. You are so glorious. You are so gracious, so loving, so holy, so saving, so great, so good. Nothing else in this world satisfies me. Jesus, I need you. Will you be my one thing? Sincerely, North Roanoke Baptist Church. If you want to sign your name to this letter, then I invite you to stand as we sing. If you don't, no shame in remaining seated. And as we prepare to sing, you've indicated you want to sign the letter. I trust by way of the Holy Spirit that that maybe He's shown some of us something in our heart that we need to lay down. Some discipline in our life that's not present that we need to take on. Church, I don't want us to miss this moment. Let's lay it down and live in His presence because nothing else will satisfy. I want to pause to say, I don't know where you are this morning, but there have been seasons in my life that I've been distracted by everything else and lost sight of the one thing. And I'm here to tell you both from God's Word, the authority of God's Word, and personal experience, there's only one thing that satisfies. And He satisfies like you wouldn't believe. If you don't know Him, if you're drifting from Him, you didn't come forward this morning. There's nothing magical about coming forward. I'll talk with you after. I'll talk with you on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Our staff would delight to do the same thing. We've got deacons who would love to talk with you. Maybe a neighbor or a friend brought you and you would want to talk with them. You'd feel most comfortable talking with them. Whoever it is, find somebody who knows that Jesus is the one thing and labor and linger in prayer and conversation until you find your satisfaction in Him. There's nothing else that satisfies. God in heaven, thank you for Peggy. Thank you for what you're doing in her life. God, thank you that you have brought us a new member who wants to encourage us in the gospel. A baptized believer who knows you, is called by the name of the Lord, and wants to, wants to go all in in helping us be Christ's church and impact the Roanoke Valley and reaching the world for the glory of Christ. So, God, we pray that in adding her to our family, God, that we would receive her well. 
God, that she would find great joy in your presence and that, God, there would be mutual encouragement uh, between the body and Peggy. God, I thank you for the guests you've been sending. I thank you for the spirit that was in this room today. And God, I pray that you would give us a laser focus on the one thing, that we would know and dwell in the presence of God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.